Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential, along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you've ever dreamed about writing or dabbled in writing, then you've probably engaged in that fantasy where Terry Gross or Oprah or whoever your favorite interviewer happens to be is asking you about your brilliant new bestseller or your memoir or that thriller you wrote. And for most of us, it's just a daydream. But a rare handful of writers are also published authors of books with titles to their names by legitimate publishers. How does this happen? Is there a secret to getting someone to read your manuscript? And if a publisher picks you up, does it change your life? With me today to discuss this is Michael Rubin, a full-time attorney specializing in appellate law with the high-powered McGlinchey firm here in Baton Rouge, who is also a successful author of legal thrillers that, like John Grisham's gripping novels, center on things Mike knows well, the Deep South, racism, family legacies, and where law intersects with the criminal justice system. Michael and his wife write their novels together as co-authors and have three titles so far to their names, The Cotton Crest Cursed, Cashed Out, and A White Hot Plan, some of which have been published by LSU Press and earned the couple several book awards. Mike, whose varied career has also included a stint as a jazz musician, a humorist, and a public speaker, writes on lots of different topics in addition to legal thrillers. And Mike, it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today on Out to Lunch. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Stephanie. You know, writing is something that we all, I think, want to do. And I think everybody has a book in them, but not everybody has a book finished. And everybody who I talk to at, at book events and book seminars, and then this includes John Grisham and Scott Turow and others, say the way to write a book is to finish it not to correct it as you go. If you can always, nobody publishes the first draft. You can always correct it at the end, but unless you get through the f book the first time, you'll never finish it. Well, I have lots of questions about that. Joining us at the table today is another author, Barbara Sims, whose 2014 book, The Next Elvis, Searching for Stardom at Sun Records, is a memoir of her years working as a publicist and promoter at Sun Records in Memphis, in the male-dominated workforce of the 1950s. At the time, Barbara was in her early 20s, just out of college, and her job at Sun placed her in the studio with the likes of Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Charlie Rich, and none other than Sun's legendary founder, Sam Phillips. Like Mike, Barbara has had a rich and varied career, and though her time at Sun Records was perhaps the most glamorous chapter, she went on to become an English professor at LSU here in Baton Rouge for many decades, and now she is enjoying the third chapter of her career as a public speaker about her years and doing those speeches mostly on cruise ships and river cruises, which sounds like so much fun. So, Barbara, it's so much fun to have you here with Mike. You also were published by LSU Press. I believe y'all 
knew each other outside of this, so welcome. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm privileged to be here. I hear your show all the time and enjoy it, and um, I'm looking forward to having a conversation and with my friend Mike. I've read all his books, and um, I think that, you know, we... It's nice that we can all be together. Well, that's so great. And, and Mike, back to what you were talking about, some of your, your overarching sort of trade secrets. I mean, how did you get started in though? The, the Cotton Crest Curse, your first one? Um, is this something you'd always dreamed about doing? Or? Well, my wife and I uh, would walk at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, and after you talk about what that, our kids were younger then, after you talk about who was taking what child to what event, the question is how do you stay awake? So we would start making up stories and we would make notes. And after about six months to a year, we realized we might have a novel in that. So we started writing and it turned out great. And then, so that sounds ideal, but then how do you take that great manuscript, that great story and convince someone that it's worth publishing? Well, we, we, uh, we got an, an agent in New York who read it and liked it a lot. And the agent, uh, was convinced that this had legs and so we ended up at the LSU Press and it was it was wonderful. Uh, the LSU Press has been just a great place for us and then we've also used uh, our latest book which is A White Hot Plan is published by the University of Lafayette Press and they've also been just wonderful to us. Okay, very good. And Barbara, unlike Mike who writes fiction, yours is a memoir. Exactly. And, and the story about how you started at Sun Records is just amazing. A journalism major out of Alabama right. in the in in the mid 50s. Right. And and you tried to get a job as a reporter and and they said no way, we're not putting this pretty young thing on the night court beat. Exactly. <laughs> it was very uh, disappointing when I finished my degree in uh, radio, TV and journalism to find that the only jobs open to women other than clerical were to write um, commercials, which is a good thing if you want to do it, but I really did want to be a reporter and saw myself as a journalist. And when Sam uh, approached me, after I'd had two or three jobs in television that were not particularly fulfilling, um, I thought, well, this is a way that all my training can come together because I knew radio, so I knew who the good stations were to get our records played, and I knew how to write those album notes and um, I actually was a big fan of the kind of music that all these stars were. We grew up sort of at the same time, yeah. and everybody at Sun was within about 100 miles of Memphis, so we had the same cultural influences, more or less, and I really started my book as a, a musical memoir uh, telling of the songs that I remember first, and then at various chapters, and then I get to Sun. Well, I realized in doing that that I basically had two books. I had the book on about Sun, which turned out to be a big part of the manuscript, and then I had the part about myself, which seemed kind of extraneous. So that was my process in getting the manuscript together. But as far as publishing it went, uh, I approached LSU Press, and they read it and accepted it, and it was a really easy, you know, transition, and I enjoyed working with them because I was here on the campus, and um, so that's, I, I did not have the ambition to be a writer. But you just had a really great story. And I had some a story really great that memoirs. I wanted to tell. Now, Mike, you and, so you and your wife write these books together, and you have what you call like a, a reverse outline method. What does that mean? 
Because well, how did two minds get into, especially like a novel, a thriller, right? Well, the two questions we always get asked, Stephanie, at meetings is, number one, how do two people write with one voice? Yeah. And second, how do two people write and stay married? Uh, so what we do is when we start writing, we know the beginning, we know the middle, and we think we know the end. We know the key characters and what they want, but we don't know how we're going to get from beginning to middle to end. We don't know the subplots. We don't know the subcharacters. That's the fun of writing. So some people uh, are called... Uh, plotsers and P-L-O-T-S-E-R and they plot novels in advance that's what James Patterson does we don't do that we, we know the generics then they're called pantsers P-A-N-T-S-E-R who simply write by the seat of their pants and we're kind of in the middle so uh, once we start writing we do that but as we write once we do a chapter we do a little uh, spreadsheet on what that chapter does so that's outlining in reverse and that way as we look backwards we can see what the chapters were and that also stops us from rewriting as we go so we keep moving forward and that way we've known where we've been and we don't have to rewrite until we get to the next second third or fourth draft and your characters do they sort of take on a life of their own as you're going all of a sudden you've got these people and you're absolutely they you know you you think you know who they are and sometimes they're not who you thought they were, and sometimes something that you thought was a sub-character turns out to be a main plot. That's the plot point. That's the that's the fun of writing. That's the mm-hmm. that's the enjoyment. It's like a big puzzle that keeps moving. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Now, I, I know being an attorney, especially at a firm like McGlinchey, is very demanding. Do you do you do your writing at four thirty in the morning, or do you burn the candle at both ends? We or? we write whenever we can. We write. Uh, I, I do a lot of traveling around the country on business, so we write in hotel rooms. We write on the airplanes. We write in the evenings, you know, and people say, well, how do you find time to write? And the answer is we all find time to do those things that we enjoy. If you like baseball or football, you'll find time to go to a game. Well, if you want to write, you can find time to write. Yeah, that's very, very true. And Barbara, you know, they, they say that we have to resist the temptation to, you know, to write history in, in reverse. When, when you were living that experience at Sun, exactly. did you know just how profound a shift in music and culture was underway or were you just sort of caught up in it at the time and didn't realize how significant these musicians and influencers like like Sam Phillips would be? I have reflected on that so often and I realized that Elvis was a big phenomenon. I call the book The Next Elvis because all the people who came afterwards wanted to be the next Elvis and there would never be another Elvis obviously. I knew that they were on network television. I knew we were selling millions of records so in a sense I realized we were important but I didn't know and I don't think Sam Phillips could guess how long it would last. It amazes me to think that today people that I do my when I do my lectures and I play parts of these songs and do videos of the stars, how um, truly admired and sort of revered in a way, people like Johnny Cash and Elvis and Roy Orbison uh, have remained sure. through the years. So in a, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> I knew they were important. I didn't know how long it would last. Mm-hmm. And there are intervals, of course, after our son and the rockabilly phase, then we had the, the British invasion, which many people don't realize the extent to which the Sun catalog um, contributed, but our Carl Perkins had five of his songs recorded by the Beatles very early. And um, 
Carl Perkins also opened for the Rolling Stones. So there was a continuity, even though there was a shift in the type of music that was being played. Sure. And, and you knew how to write, obviously, when you went over there. But I love how uh, early in your book you talk about how you were sitting there pondering whether you should take the job because you just weren't sure you would be able to write liner notes for these records. How, how did you learn to write for or to the music? To promote it? Well, um, Stephanie, it wasn't so much that I didn't know how to write for the music that I would hear. It's that I didn't know how I would fit into all these multiple jobs of interfacing, for example, with the trade publications and with the um, distributors, because a big part of my job was sales, and I needed to, you know, be conversant with the whole business end of the record business, then that was my inhibition. Uh, plus, um, to tell you the truth, uh, it didn't seem like any environment that I had ever been in. People just coming and going, and um, all of them with guitars strapped on their backs, and um, I never had experienced, uh, you know, life exactly the way it was lived there. Sam Phillips would. Well, I, I tell in the book how he wanted to interview me at 8 o'clock at night in my apartment. Well, he, he made appointments for lunchtime and, and broke them all, but called me up all of a sudden, and that was when my interview was going to be. And he was a night person, and uh, so, you know, a lot of times I was on my own. I was just there doing what I felt I should do without any direct supervision, and I sort of sensed that. Uh, yeah. But I got a good feel for it after I, I also tell how I did freelance work for mm -hmm. several months and I gained the confidence, you know, that I would be able to do it. And then I found, to my great delight, that it was a wonderful job and I had so much fun doing it. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to author Barbara Sims and Michael Rubin. Michael, I know when you write, um, it, it's such a labor of love and then you produce this work and hopefully it's published like with y'all, but is it, how, how much have you had to go out, Mike, with your wife and really sell your books? Do you do the, the circuits, the book fairs, and the, or do you just let your publishers handle it? No, no, we do, we do a lot on our own. We have you know, social media sites. I have a, a website called uh, www.mrubinbooks, all one word, dot com. Uh, we go to national conferences. Uh, there's one. We just did one in Bethesda, Maryland, called Malice Domestic. We'll be at Killer Nashville. We'll be out in California at something called BoucherCon. We'll be doing Barnes and Noble on January 10th. And I, you know, part of that sales job is and pitch job is pe people want to meet the authors, which is great. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition, you have to have a, a pitch for each, each book, like an elevator pitch. So, for example, our latest book, A White Hot Plan. Here's the pitch for this. Uh, disgraced New Orleans homicide detective fired from the force and relegated to writing speeding tickets in a rural parish stumbles across a terrorist plot to bomb New Orleans. So oh, that's the pitch. So good. <laughs> so good. So, uh, yeah, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's wonderful to meet with other authors. In fact, that's how Barbara and I first met. Okay. Uh, it was through the LSU Press. And, you know, she publishes nonfiction, I publish fiction. But, you know, writers have a lot in common, which is it, it is a solitary process to write and that you're writing for an audience that you hope is there, that you hope will enjoy what you're writing, and you write what you enjoy writing. Mm -hmm. and, and the whole nature of publishing obviously has changed very much over the past 
two decades. I know your book was 2014. Yours have been published uh, relatively well, recently. The, the, huh? the first one was 2014. The last one, The White House Plan, just came out in March. And, and yeah. one of our books has published, uh, pick, been picked up in Europe and published in translation in Europe. So, yeah, it's, it's a continuing. But people are still reading hardbacks, uh, paperbacks. They, uh, they read the, hardbacks, the whole paperbacks. Thing, I don't see as many as I did a decade ago. They even. read audio books. Well, they're reading on the phones, too. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you go on an airplane, you'll be amazed at how many people are reading something, uh, but it's on their phone. Mm-hmm. Not on a not on a Kindle, or not on a Nook. It, but are you getting rich off of it yet, or is it still just? I'm not giving fun? up my day job, <laughs> but I certainly love what we do, and we're pleased that the publishers are pleased with it, which is of course an important aspect. You want the publishers to to please and want to publish the next book as well. Barbara, I want to know about Elvis and and Roy Orbison, but I really love the image of the the 24 year old young lady in 1957 in this world i mean were you intimidated how did they treat you was it the Mad Men kind of thing that we see on tv or no i don't i, did, I never watched Mad Men, but from what i heard of it it was um not the atmosphere as it oh everyone basically treated me very well um some of the musicians at first kind of gave me a hard time um they just sort of initiated me <laughs> and uh-huh. um, a couple of more to go out with me and I you know absolutely said at the beginning this is not going to happen um, it was in the world of um, of business I found that I was respected by the distributors because I had a product they wanted mm-hmm. and I knew how to talk business to them largely through Sam's tutelage and then just common sense but I was um, while I was waiting uh, to, you know, for us to go on the air, I, I opened up my book to one section about my going to a, a convention of music operators, jukebox operators, and they had an event called Ladies' Day, and it was advertised as wives of the members, and it was just assumed there weren't going to be any women except wives, <laughs> wow. and it was the same, you know, in reflection. I, I knew of no other woman in a position like mine in the record business. Yeah. I think there may have been one at one of the majors that I've read about in a trade publication, but um, it was very unusual for a woman to be so given that, authority. So that was my follow-up question. You were literally the only one that you would I encounter in be, meetings or conversations. I, I seem to have been... You know, sort of, <laughs> uh, and that, it, of course, is due to the fact that Sam Phillips was totally unprejudiced. His early uh, exploits in the music business was exposing the talents of many early uh, blues players. He was one of the first, to, he was the first to record B.B. King and Howlin' Wolf and many other people. And the same went for his attitude toward women. If you could do the job, he was happy for it. And he even founded an all-girl radio station called WHER. And it was run entirely by women except for the transmission tower. He had a man for that. Um, But no, uh, the only instance I ever had of um, feeling threatened at all was when I went to the uh, convention by myself. And I realized that some of the people uh, might have misunderstood my being there mm-hmm. without an escort. Mm-hmm. And the times before, I had been with our sales manager, Judd Phillips. And so um, that was, you know, a signal to people to leave me alone. Mm-hmm. 
but the one at which I went to which I went by myself, I ended up leaving early because I just felt out of place. Yeah. That was the only time, though. And uh, I tell of one incident in the book where our distributor in Baltimore got mad at me about the fact that I had sold too many records to his acquisitions person. And um, I felt good that he yelled at me because that meant that we were equal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you were one of the boys. Yeah. That's great. Mike, how much does your legal experience, your legal career inform your story ideas and inspire you? That's a good question. None of my cases are in the book. Okay. And so all the book is completely fiction. But I, th there are aspects of the law in the book. I mean, there are courtroom scenes, and knowing how a courtroom works is very important. It's not like on CSI or Law okay. and Order. Uh, and, uh, for example, the Cottoncrest curse involves Plessy versus Ferguson, which is the terrible case where the separate but equal rule that, that took 100 years to get overturned. And some of the other books involve legal issues, but they're not plot points. They are simply there dressing uh, for the really... Uh, important stuff, which is pulling this stuff forward. In fact, when my wife and I write and we go through the drafts, we have one rule, which is if it slows the reader down, it's got to come out. Mm -hmm. and, and are you the one who really is sitting there at the keyboard putting the words down and she, uh, you know, back reads for you? Or do y'all take turns literally writing the same chapter? So after we've talked about the, the beginning, the middle, and the end, and know who the characters are, I'll do the first draft, and I'll show her the draft as we go and we talk about it. Then she does the second draft, and as she says, lawyers write in triplicate. So she has to reduce it down. And then we meet and we go through what she's taken out, what she's added, what I would like to put in, what we disagree on. And it turns out our disagreements are very small because we already know where we're headed. Yeah. So, and then we do a third draft and then sometimes up to 10 cleanup drafts. But no, we're both, we're both involved in it. That's fantastic. Barbara, your career at Sun lasted how many years? It was three and a half years. Right. And I, I started doing freelance in 57 and went to work full time um, in the beginning of 58. And then I left in September of um, 60 okay. to come to LSU. And, and ended up having a, a long and, and very rich career in the English department at I LSU. Yeah. And then now you are traveling the high seas and the Mississippi River and sharing your wonderful experiences. It's been with such a, a wonderful thing for this stage of life to uh, be able to not only see the country in ways that I hadn't before, but also to meet so many fans of this music. And the um, thing that I'm discovering, when I first started about uh, 2012, I guess, um, I was younger than some of the passengers. And now I think I'm probably <laughs> older than many of our passengers, but um, the talks are just getting better and better received. I, um, I, that's what's so gratifying, to bring the music to the people. And also they are interested in my story as well and the changes in society. And um, yeah, I so have rich. been, I, I'll have to say, I've been the length of the Mississippi River. I've been on the Tennessee, the Cumberland, the Columbia. And um, it's just been a great experience. I'm, I'm on the um, boats of the American Queen Voyages Company. Mm -hmm. Recently made a trip from Chicago to Toronto. And I don't talk just about Sun. Uh, obviously, I can't. I do have two talks about Sun. One about the rock music, but then I do the countryside of Sun, because 
many of our artists, Johnny Cash and Jared Lee and others, um, recorded country music for us. Right, right. So, uh, and then we had some really good songwriters that wrote country songs that are classics. So I have a chance to to show some of that uh, side of the publishing aspect of the record business. Well, I would love to get on one of those cruises and hear one of your talks. Mike, I know a lot of times, um, you know, like the first great novel is really the author's heart and soul. I mean, I think A Time to Kill, um, a lot of people would say is John Grisham's finest novel by far. Do you feel that's this story with the Cotton Curse, Cotton Crest Curse, or? Well, each, each or is, great question. Each is different. The Cotton Crest Curse is a historical thriller runs from the Civil War to the Civil Rights era. Uh, the uh, a White Hot Plan, which is the current one, is a contemporary thriller. Uh, it's uh, more like a police procedural. Uh, Cashed Out is a uh, first-person uh, book that's been compared very favorably to John Grisham, so each is different. And my favorite is the one that we're working on next, which is, uh, which is at our agents, which is set in 1915 in New Orleans. Love that. So a fourth one is forthcoming. Yeah, absolutely. Sometime in 2023 or 24 or whenever. We hope. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I wish we had more time, Mike Rubin and Barbara Sims, to talk about your experiences, your fascinating careers, and your wonderful, wonderful books. It's so inspiring to meet two individuals who figured out how to tell stories as well as their own story and have given so much to the Baton Rouge community and to readers everywhere. So thank you all so much for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. It's been a pleasure. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been authors Michael Rubin and Barbara Sims. You can find out more about Michael Rubin and Barbara Sims by going to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts, and you can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. 
If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com. 